The Free Vision app is where you'll find a growing range of on-demand audio and video to help you look to God daily. Search Vision Christian Media in your app store. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. The story. We had all the emergency doctors there looking at her and they called in a neurologist about probably 10 o'clock and at midnight they said we're going to do a CT scan now and then the uh, neurologist came in and she just sat beside me and said, you know, there's a mass in your child's brain. I, I just screamed, no, no. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, in 2011, Wendy Robinson and her husband received news that no parent wants to hear. Their beautiful three-year-old daughter, Victoria, was diagnosed with a brain tumour and would need a critical operation. Wendy has written about what happened next in her book, Victoria Grace, Living with Victory Through Childhood Cancer. And she joins us today to share her story and the story of her daughter, Victoria. Wendy is chatting with Eric Scatterbo. Wendy Robinson, welcome to the program. Hi, Eric. Thanks for having me on today. Glad to have you with us. And you're joining us from Newcastle in New South Wales. Is that right? Yes, that's right. We're about two hours north of Sydney, living in a beautiful place called Valentine. Okay, well, let's go back to 2011. What were the events that led up to your daughter being diagnosed? Right. Well, it was the Christmas holidays, and Ken and I and our four children had been down in Sydney visiting for the day, going around some different attractions there. And we noticed that Victoria hadn't been uh, walking very well, mm-hmm. not lifting up her feet. And myself, being a very merciful mother, kept saying, come on, just pick up your feet and you'll be fine. <laughs> but, um, you know, by the end of the day of repeating that and her not being fine, we actually stopped to look and see what was happening with her feet and Turns out um, the right foot was pointing forward, walking normally, but the left one she seemed to have no control over, and it was pointing towards her other foot. Mm. So uh, we thought, oh, this is uh, not good. Something's not right. So this was the first time you noticed anything out of the ordinary? Yes. Yes, it was. Yes. So we, uh, on our drive back to Sydney, my husband and I uh, just sort of made a bit of a plan of what to do, that he'd take her to our sort of local emergency medical center we got home so he did that and they said oh you know probably just a hip problem it'll go away in Mm -hmm. a few days yes and then I was at the beach a couple of days later with a friend and her children and she's a midwife and she said to me Wendy what's happening with Victoria who's our third child Mm -hmm. and um, I said oh she's fine we've been to the doctor and all okay and she just sort of looked at me um, just so graciously and said, Wendy, I think you need to take her to your GP and I'll come and look after your other three children. Um, and so I knew this, this was a friend of ours from church because our family, a Christian family. Mm-hmm. And so when she said that, I thought, oh, that's odd because I don't have sort of family living close by and I just take my children everywhere with me. We'd go as a group. Mm-hmm. So for her to say, I'll come and look after them, yeah, sort of set a few alarm bells ringing and I could see the way she was watching Victoria that something wasn't quite right. Mm. My husband had gone to Melbourne that day for work and when we finally left the beach, I drove home and I'm thinking, oh, what's happening? And just getting more and more worked up and I went to visit a friend of ours who's a doctor and I just knocked on their front door and I was in a real state by then and I just started crying and saying, mm. there's something wrong with Victoria. And yeah. He looked at her and just said, 
you need to take her to the emergency department at John Hunter Hospital, which is our local big hospital, and um, give them my name, tell them you've seen me, and they'll take you straight through. And so that's what we did. Uh, we went up there. We got there about 6 o'clock in the evening, and um, sure enough, we went up to the triage desk. I said, you know, Dr. Blah, Blah, Blah has seen her, and he said to come here, mm-hmm. and they just said, take her in straight away. And then we had... Um, Yes, all the emergency doctors there looking at her and they called in a neurologist about probably 10 o'clock at night and when when she came, I thought, oh, this is probably a bit more serious than a hip issue. And at midnight, they said, we're going to do a CT scan now. Mm-hmm. So she's lying there on the bed and I'm in a room with her and I'm just standing there and just going, God, I don't know what this is, but I know that you will give this child the strength to get through this. Um, And then after we came out of that room, we went back to the emergency area, but we weren't in those open bays anymore. We'd gone into a single room Mm -hmm. where they closed the door. And then the uh, neurologist came in and she just sat beside me and said, you know, there's a mass in your child's brain. And um, I I just screamed, no, no. You know, Victoria by this time, it was midnight, so she was asleep. Yeah. So, yeah, and I, I couldn't, I couldn't comprehend what she said, and there's no way I knew I could. I could not give my husband this news, so I said, "Can you ring him and tell him I, I can't?" Um, oh wow! So yeah. it, it really hit you like a ton of bricks. Oh yes. So you know, because it wasn't like there'd been weeks of going to doctors to find out, you know, what's wrong, or like there had been lots of symptoms. Yeah, there yeah. This been, was pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the next day. Uh, We're still in hospital and I'm from a corporate background, so I'm Mm -hmm. used to going to really important meetings in sort of closed room doors, but I quickly found out that's not really how it operates in in this sort of situation. You're sitting in a big nurse's station and all these specialists and surgeons and things are standing around looking at these scans of her brain, having this open-air discussion about how do we get to this tumour, things like it's in a really unusual place, you know, and just things that you just don't want to hear. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of discussion about what to do, how to get to it, because it's actually sitting right in the centre of her brain, on her brain stem, mm-hmm. which we were to find out, you know, if something went wrong with that surgery to get it out and they hit her brain stem, it meant she couldn't walk, probably. She probably wouldn't be able to talk. Oh, wow. So it was a really, really critical place. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So they decided to do the critical operation. How did it go? Yeah, so they decided that uh, they would look, just research around the world the best way to approach it. And then seven days later, they did the surgery and she had a small stroke during the surgery. So she came out talking and walking and, you know, pretty much as she was before, except she has a physical disability now on her left side. As a result of the stroke she experienced? Yes, during the surgery. So because of the location of the tumour, you know, it was really difficult to get to it. So probably she came out of that with the most minimal damage Mm -hmm. that was um, possible. So that in turn then meant that she had to have six months of daily physiotherapy and Mm -hmm. hydrotherapy, occupational therapy, all sorts of therapies to start to use her or learn how to use her left hand and leg again. So on the one hand, you're very thankful that the operation was a success, but mm. the reality was it now meant she needed to have physical therapy just to be able to do things that she was able to do before. Yes, and that that was huge because there had 
no understanding of that really. And doctors were unable to say to us after the surgery whether that would be permanent for her or just a temporary situation. Mm-hmm. And I remember going to one of the first OT appointments and they had those little wooden blocks that children play with sitting on a table. And so Victoria is three years old. Mm-hmm. And I remember the lady, beautiful, beautiful lady, asking Victoria to lift up one of these blocks with her left hand. And she couldn't. Mm. She couldn't. She had no strength whatsoever. And so I think when I saw that, I realized, wow, okay, here we had two weeks ago a child who was functional with both hands, and now we don't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it was a huge shock, and we did have great support from the hospital. Mm -hmm. And also from our church community and neighbors who would come to the house and help, because while Victoria was doing therapy in the hospital, she also had a home program. And I've got three other children. So, you know, it's very difficult when you have to give full attention to one and not just for one day. This is like six months. And, you know, the other three children are obviously emotionally impacted by that. Now, speaking of being emotionally impacted, let's talk about you. How are you coping with all this? I mean, you're dealing with loss. Yes. Yeah. So I think one of the key things for me was... When Victoria was diagnosed, she was actually quite well within herself aside from this falling over. So the doctors said to us after a couple of days in hospital, take her home, do whatever you can to be a normal family for the next few days because, you know, when you come back to that operation, we don't really know how she will come out of it. Hmm. So we went home and that next morning of being home, I went out for a bike ride and I just cried. I just cried and cried and cried and said, God, I don't understand. You know, she's only three. How can this be happening to a three-year-old? And I probably rode around for about half an hour just crying. And then I came home and I was able to sit at my desk and start journaling. Um, I do like to write. <laughs> so I just started writing a list of things that I was thankful for. So things that like um, we had in place preparations I'd done already for the school year. Um, Victoria's teacher for the year had actually contacted us the week before via email and said, this is my email address. So like I was able to contact her way in advance of the school year starting. Uh, My mum and dad who live in New Zealand, my mum had got her passport renewed the day before, so she was able to come over on the first plane to Mm. help us. And so all of these things, 22 in fact, showed me that uh, God had gone before us. And while he didn't you know, bring this situation upon us. He had gone before and mm-hmm. prepared so many things. So yeah. that gave me a great deal of confidence that God was with us. And so while I was distraught, upset, it was just this inner thing that God's here, he, he's got us, and, and we'll get through this somehow with him. Yeah. Now, just backing up a little bit, as I understand it, when your daughter was diagnosed, there was that time between the diagnosis and the operation where you literally didn't know if she would survive the operation is is that right? Yeah, that's correct. That's what their doctors said. They said go home and just have as normal time as possible. And my husband's a very strong character. So together we sort of identified these three things we wanted to do as a family in those five days before mm-hmm. the operation was to yeah. happen. And because these could literally be her last five days. That's it. That's it. And we had family coming from all over the place to be with us. And we pretty much recreated our Christmas from a Mm -hmm. few weeks before. And uh, we went to church and she was prayed for and anointed. And Mm -hmm. it was a really hard, hard conversations with the siblings, you know, our other children. 
like, hey, Victoria's going to hospital. We're going to trust that God's going to, you know, get her through this. But if he doesn't, then we need to know that she's in a better place. She's with him in mm-hmm. heaven. And yeah. Yeah, wow. Very, very difficult conversations. I'm just trying to put myself in that place. It's, yeah, it's very, very difficult uh, emotionally. And so your whole life, your family's life has kind of been turned upside down uh, at this point. But Mm. now let's fast forward a little bit to um, her going through physical therapy. Was that going well? Yeah, so look, thankfully, she was a really compliant child and we had some great support from the hospital. And I'm pretty creative, so... You sort of need all those things to make a three-year-old, you know, do an hour's worth of therapy every day. Oh, so, yeah, you know, you yeah. sort of have five minutes activities of different things. And, yeah, so she she embraced that. We made it fun. And then she when she was able to get in the pool again and do some fun hydrotherapy things in the pool, that was, that was a blessing. So she had to do this. This was an optional. Yeah. So I guess... The thing is, if she did not do it, she would not be able to use her arm and hand today. Mm-hmm. So for me as a mum, there was no option because I wanted my child to be able to be as functional as possible. You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scadabo is chatting with Wendy Robinson, who's the author of the book Victoria Grace, Living with Victory Through Childhood Cancer. And as we've been hearing, she's been telling about what happened after she received the news that her three-year-old daughter, Victoria, was diagnosed with a brain tumour and then had to have a critical operation. Wendy will share more of her story and the story of her daughter, Victoria, when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax, and this is The Story. Our guest today is Wendy Robinson, who's the author of the book Victoria Grace, Living with Victory Through Childhood Cancer. And as we heard before the break, Wendy's been sharing what it was like after she received the news that her three-year-old daughter, Victoria, was diagnosed with a brain tumour and then had to undergo a critical operation. Now we'll hear what happened next in their lives. And so the operation was a success, but correct me if I'm wrong, they were not able to get the entire tumour out. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Because of where it's located, they were hesitant to go too far into it in case they hit that brain stem mm. which controls you know the walking and the breathing and life basically to the body so yeah so it was a success in that it debulked the tumor and it was no longer pressing on her brain causing um, the weakness and those things but then fast yeah. forwarding to february 2012 mm. you got the sad news that the tumor was growing again yes yes so that was devastating in my mind when this first occurred i thought oh, this is just a blip, you know, this is just something that's happened in our life and we'll sort of get over it pretty quickly and she'll come right. So when this news came in, you know, 12 months later, I thought, wow, what's this God? Yeah, this isn't a blip. Yeah, yeah, this is not a blip. This is like, this is ongoing. Yeah, so we got that news in the February and the oncologist said, look, we'll just wait till the next scan which was like three months away, and we'll see what's happened then and make a plan. So three months later, she had a scan, and he said the tumour had grown by 40%. Mm. 
So then started a routine of chemotherapy, which for her meant every week up at the hospital for 15 months. And it was huge, huge for her and her body. And then for the rest of the family as well, Mm -hmm. because, you know, when you're having chemotherapy, your immune system's low, so you often get um, high temperatures. And in Mm. her case, you had to be back at the hospital then and stay for a few days. So the rest of the family is at home in a bit of a chaotic state. You know, where's Victoria? Where's mum? When are they going to be back? You know, fear, all of those things sort of floating around. Yeah. And so mental health challenges for yourself? Oh, yes, definitely. Towards the end, so probably 12 months into that chemo, I just, uh, one morning I remember sitting at the dining room table just crying and, and just saying to my mm. husband, I can't go, I can't, I cannot go up to that hospital again. Yeah, so it was, I was at this point where I just, I didn't want anything to do with any of it. And I think we just, we reached out to a few close friends at church who then organized a roster for someone to come up with me each week. And they would sort of just, just be there and assist with whatever was needed. And then also our church organised a roster for once a week for Ken and I to go out for dinner together to have some time. Mm-hmm. Obviously marriage yeah. takes a bit of a hit with all this going on. Yeah, and they'd bring meals and, and mums from school would bring meals. And yeah, so I think when I reached that point and asked for help, there was plenty of people to help, which was an absolute blessing. Wow, that's fantastic. And then finally the chemotherapy stopped? Yeah, so that was interesting. That was just one day we went in there and we knew it was going to come to an end soon and the registrar just comes and goes, I think we'll just stop today. It's like, right, our world's been turned upside down. We've been coming here for 15 months and now it's just, we'll stop today. Oh, wow. Just like <laughs> so, that? Yeah, just like that. And then um, we saw the oncologist and he said, yeah, look, we'll stop and uh, we'll have a break, give a break for three months and then we'll probably come back and do the same thing for another 12 months and then have oh. another three-month break, and then do the same thing for another 12 months. And So they weren't and stopping he, because everything was fine. They were stopping just to take a break. Yeah, that's mm. right. And yeah. so you went through all that journey of off and on with the chemotherapy, only mm. to find out in 2015 that the tumor was starting to grow again. Yes, that's right. So when the chemo stopped in 2013... Yeah, the tumour just stayed stable for, for almost two years mm-hmm. and then she had another routine scan. So these scans were every three months and that's a horrific process in itself. Oh, is it? Anyone who will know that. Not, not so much the actual steps of going through the scan but the lead up and the anxiety of, you know, what's the scan going to show? Oh, and right. I think, yeah. So in the end, by this time, we'd probably sort of made a decision that, you know, we're not going to live in fear anymore. Mm-hmm. We're not going to have yeah. those three or four weeks of absolutely crippling anxiety prior to the scan so it was a bit of a shock again when we went to this one in July and the oncologist said the tumour started growing again Hmm. I think for me that was a time of really questioning what God was you know what was happening and um, that afternoon we'd done some publicity for as a family for camp quality Mm-hmm. And we had a meeting at their office, and my husband and I decided to keep that meeting because what? we knew they would understand. What, what is Camp Quality? So Camp Quality is a charity that organizes uh, camps and activities for children of families with cancer. Oh, okay. So, yes, a fabulous, fabulous organization. Mm-hmm. Sort of time out, laughter, getting to meet other families who are in mm-hmm. similar situations. So we knew they would understand where yeah. we were at. Yeah. Yeah. 
so we got there, we explained, we cried, you know, and they were so gracious to us. And then they said, oh, look, we've just received this fax from the Sydney office to say there's a camp down in Sydney and there's a couple of vacant spots for families that they can't fill. Would you like to go? So this was a Thursday when we got this um, devastating news. So we thought, yes, that, that's what we'll do. We'll go down there. So we went to the camp and most of the camp quality camps are at sport and rec centres, mm-hmm. you know, but this one wasn't. It was at a Christian convention centre. And mm. I remember walking in like to the main dining hall and there was a poster on the wall uh, with a scripture from John 10.10, 10, which says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And I read that. So remember, I've just heard for the third time that the tumour and our daughter's brain is growing. And I um, I just felt that God was saying to me, do you believe this, Wendy? Do you believe that I have come, that Jesus came, that Victoria can have life and have it to the full? And I guess my answer, to be absolutely honest, was no. Mm. So I had a bit of a journey to go on then uh, with God, wrestling with that. Um, I was, you know, because I was disappointed. I was mm-hmm. angry. Yeah. So I went through this period of finding, uh, meditating on all, the, you know, a lot of scriptures in the Bible about healing, those promises from God every day, just saying them out aloud, mm-hmm. even though I wasn't in a place of believing them when I started. But gradually my faith built again. Mm-hmm. And we did have a lot of people praying for her. And, you know, I prayed that prayer, Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief, you know, mm-hmm. from yeah. March yeah. 9, verse 24, just being really honest with God. Exactly. You know, yeah. Not pretending, yeah. not pretending, mm-hmm. oh, yes, everything's fine, because it wasn't. Exactly. It yeah. wasn't. And then three months later, she had the next scan, and the tumor had stopped growing with no medical intervention. So... That was simply amazing. I just we just cried and cried and cried. Wow! And correct me if I'm wrong. It hasn't grown since that day. No, no, it hasn't. In 2015. Yeah, that is correct. And then in 2019, after 26 brain scans, mm-hmm. MRIs, the oncologist said, "That's enough. We don't have to do any more. I'm confident this will not grow." Wow. So that was a hallelujah moment. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I mean, what a long journey, but what a fulfilling journey to finally get yeah. to the point where they are confident the tumor is not going to grow. Mm. Wow. How did you react to that? Yeah, that was just like, yeah, my husband and I were, yes, you know, amen. Victoria still believing that it would go completely. Mm-hmm. So there was a bit of processing there for her. Mm-hmm. Um for all of us, I guess, but especially for her. Uh, of course, now she's older and, and she's going through the emotions and feelings of disappointment and triumph. So uh, how is she doing inside? And, and does she have a faith in God? Yeah, so she has a faith in God. She, It's a continual process, though, still reconciling. Here I am today, I have to wear, she wears a splint on her left leg to help mm-hmm. her walk. Um, her left hand, while it's functional, it's not as functional or as strong as her right one. Mm-hmm. So there are challenges for her in her life. However, from that, she's able to speak into other young people's lives mm-hmm. about overcoming. You know, she oh, just yeah. has to stand up and people look at her and it's obvious there's something, you know, that's happened to her body. So she comes from, you know, how really 
often you can only really speak with authority when you've actually experienced it. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. you know, so she was in year five and she spoke to all of the high school students. Their school goes from right the way through all the years oh, wow. of schooling. Yeah. So she stood in front of the high schoolers and she was only in primary school and testified to what God had done. Wow. So, yeah, it's it's amazing. Because she could, I mean, she could very well feel sorry for herself. All yeah. this, I had to go through my friends or other people I'm seeing at school, they don't have to go through all this. That's right. And there are days like that. Yeah. You know, so she, you know, there just are... Just being honest. Yeah. yeah. There are days like that. Why me? Why has this happened? And one of the great things is that she loves sport. So yeah. she's classified as a para-athlete, a disabled athlete to compete mm-hmm. in athletics and swimming. And so through those events, uh, she gets to compete at like state level and national level. Mm-hmm. And she's meeting other children who have had not necessarily the same experience as her, but they have, something's happened to them. Yeah. You know, whether Mm -hmm. they've had a leg amputated or whatever. And they share their stories together and they share how they've overcome. And that is of great encouragement to her. Yeah, and she's won some medals. Yes, she's won some medals. She came third in discus in 2019 Mm -hmm. and 2018 for the 12-year-old girls, para-athletes. So, yeah, just fabulous experiences and just again, yeah, they get to share and she yeah. will talk about what God's done in her life and mm-hmm. then someone else will ask a question, well, how does that work? And Yeah, so just those childhood conversations. Yeah, well, good on her for getting out there and enjoying life and having some fun. Mm, yes, absolutely. I don't think we would let her not do that. So what does the future look like for your daughter, Victoria? Well, in her mind, she will be at the Paralympics one day. Mm-hmm. And That's the she'll goal. be preaching one day. Oh, fantastic. So we will see. We will yeah. see. Wow, that's fantastic. Thank you so much, Wendy, for sharing your journey, your family's journey, and most importantly, sharing Victoria's journey. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you. That was Eric Scadabo chatting with Wendy Robinson, the author of the book, Victoria Grace, Living with Victory Through Childhood Cancer. And what a wonderful victory it's been. It was great to hear how Victoria is now involved in sports and has even been sharing her faith in front of her fellow students at school. She reminds me of the verse in the Bible that says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Good on you, Victoria, for being bold and courageous. It's fantastic. Well, if you'd like to find out more about Victoria's journey and the book her mother has written, the website is wendyrobinson.com.au. Once again, that's wendyrobinson.com.au. Well, thanks for joining us for Wendy Robinson sharing her and her daughter's story. Until next time, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. We had just shifted. We'd been in our new home. Insurance Park for 48 hours and it was a beautiful sunny day and I said to my son, you know, I'd promised the fellow that moved us um, to pay him today and I said, would you like to go? And he said, yeah, dad. So we both hopped on on my motorcycle and headed off. So near the corner of Marunda Highway and Mitcham Road, um, we were hit and yes, our lives changed forever. Dougie Reeves was born in the United States and came to Australia with his wife in the late 1970s. His dream was to be an Olympic athlete and he strove toward this goal for 20 years. 
However, that dream was shattered one day when he was out riding his motorcycle. We'll hear Dougie's story next time. The story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.